Hello and welcome to Founders Unplugged. I am your host, Greg McCallum, also known as the pay-as-you-scale commercial advisor and fractional CCO uh, and angel investor. Um, before we start, just wanted to let you know all these conversations are you know, completely voluntary by the founders who are involved. So please give them some love. They're, they're very busy individuals and they're taking two hours, up to two hours out of their day to come and sit and chat with me about themselves, about their businesses and about all other kinds of stuff. Uh, so it's a bit of fun. It's a, you know, a bit of a uh, an experiment um, and uh, really enjoyed the sports so far. So thank you so much. But do show them some love. Look in the uh, description uh, on whatever platform you're watching this and you will find links to them for their LinkedIn profiles and also the projects and the startups they're working on. So do go and check those out. And while you're at it, maybe give me a bit of love too. Um, I do this as something on the side to my main business. I run a company called ThinkWork, um, like I said, where I am the commercial advisor and fractional CCO. Um, and so if you're looking for any advice, I also do free uh, commercial advice um, for those for, for one hour, up to one hour. Uh, but uh, that, that, that job allows me to do this so i guess you could say in some ways think work is sponsoring this episode um but uh look thank you so much uh enjoy the episode please do um show love and appreciation for them and of course for this episode if you enjoy it like it subscribe share all that sort of stuff comment below that lets the algorithm know that you're engaging with it and maybe you can suggest um some people that uh, should be on the show that'd be great to have them on um and they can also uh use the form in the description to apply as well um so yeah without further ado i've talked long enough enjoy the episode thank you bye-bye founders unplugged hosted by greg mccallum Okay, I'll, okay I'll, I'll cut that bit out. <laughs> I'll cut that bit out. Okay, no worries. So we'll just we'll now, start. Let's say we're we'll starting start now. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. We're, we're starting now. So yeah, why don't you? Why don't we kick off then by you? Because we do know each other. We have already we already worked together. Um, but why don't you start by introducing yourself and, and tell us a bit? Uh, but yeah, whatever you want about yourself and and, and the company. Yeah. So I'm the founder of Tutti. Uh, it is essentially Airbnb for creative spaces. We help people find and book amazing spaces for film shoots, photo shoots, rehearsals, recordings, performances, anything creative uh, you can imagine, we probably have space that can uh, facilitate it. And our spaces are literally everything and anything. Um, we have uh, the, the main ones are homes, studios, churches, theaters. We have some nightclubs, we have some bars. Uh, we recently listed some uh, stretches of road because people need to shoot stretches of road for various things we have some parks oh, yeah. or boats we have castles oh yeah we had our first castle last week literally mm. everything it's it's so cool it's really really cool seeing the number of different types of places coming on to, to do, so and do you know what's interesting as well like um is that, that there's some businesses that are listed on there that i never thought i i don't think that even business owners in that sector had ever even thought of it as like an additional revenue stream for something like being you know for a location for a shoot or something like that so that's really yeah. interesting yeah, yeah. No, we're uh the where we're working towards we're not quite there yet but where we're working towards is a place where um we can approach any business anywhere in the world and say hey uh have you ever thought of renting out your space for creative hires and mm. uh, if they say no we can be like well it can get you okay. amount of money uh yeah. we will and we will facilitate everything and you don't have to worry about it and yeah. um all you have to do is sit back and let the money roll in um mm. 
that's where we're headed. We're obviously nowhere near there yet, but um, we're MVP stage of that. <laughs> and it's it's not so much facilitating like events. It's not for like booking events, right? As much it's, as it's more focused on the the, the creative side. It's creative events. So it, okay. we still haven't found a good word for this. So I'm okay with a launch, uh, a launch party, um, yeah. because that's a professional uh, creative event. Yeah. But, what we are not doing is parties for like 18th birthday party or 40th birthday party. Mm. Uh, that's not for us. Uh, we're not yeah, doing yeah. things. We're not doing uh, corporate bookings for the most part. Like uh, there are plenty of websites out there that do corporate bookings mm. better than us. So there's no point competing with them. Um, like um, one of my favorite ones is Venue Scanner, and anyone who comes yeah. looking for a, a space for a, vet, uh, a corporate booking, I'm like, go go check out Venue Scanner. Their team is great. And <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. yeah. So we are creative events. So cre we normally call it creative projects. So film and TV shoots, video shoots, whether it's like the BBC uh, have done an interview with Tutti um, or through Tutti. Um, I get. ITV and Channel 4 have used it, Sky used it, um, then Ocado and Crack and Rum and uh, Lily's Kitchen and a few other brands like that. There we go. Uh, Lily's Kitchen have all uh, used it um, and they, they've shot ads in it. Um, we've had some impressive artists do music videos in it. If you scroll down a tiny bit more, you'll see one of them uh, on the left. Rose Leslie um, on the left. She starred in a music video by Fabio D'Andrea. Um, and um, don't click on any of those. I'll start playing something. <laughs> um, and all sorts of weird and wonderful things have been done in creative in in two D spaces. I think one of the weirdest, one of the most unusual ones that I came across was a team that were going to set up a VR exhibition. They needed to test the VR exhibition, but they couldn't get into the space. So right. they just did a big open space that was uh, not too expensive and roughly the size and dimension of the gallery that they were going to open in. Mm. Did two days of testing in one of our community halls, which was uh, in Hackney. Um, That's pretty cool. Oh, you still there? Yeah. I, I'm having network ah, problems. There you go. No, that's fine. Lost you for a second. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So it's, it's just such a range of things, isn't it, that people are, are using these spaces for? But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is so. This is the one bit of structure that I have started adding. To, it's showing the platform a little bit in the beginning, and uh, yeah, and uh, and and for those that maybe want to connect with you, this is how they can find you, right? Um, yep. This is this is your LinkedIn page. So, yep. or profile, I should say, page. It sounded like I was like 60, like LinkedIn page on the interweb. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So, so what we, I remember you said, because like I said, we, we have spoken before and we worked together. So, I remember you mentioning before that you, um, you, 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 uh, actually grew up in a bit of a family of, of creatives. Your parents are musicians, is that right? My family for four generations have been, uh, either professional or amateur professional, uh, classical musicians. So, mm -hmm. Uh, I have my parents, my aunts and uncles, my cousin, all classical musicians. My grandfather and grandmother were like semi-pro. Uh, my great-grandfather was a professional uh, conductor and composer who uh, 
uh, Russian composer who was allowed to leave uh, Russia as to spread Russian music, uh, which is very rare when he was alive. Um, mm. And then our family dates all the way back to Mendelssohn, if anyone knows classical music. So wow. we, have, we have a history of, of music in our family. And that was a bit yeah. too much pressure. I did not want to follow that. So I went a different <laughs> um, yeah. I went and I studied film because I couldn't leave the creative industries entirely, but I wanted to do something different. And yeah. I love film. I, I'm the biggest fan of film. I watch films all the time and TV shows all the time. Mm -hmm but I was not very good at making films. And I only realized why retrospectively, which was that filmmakers, they have this incredible talent that very few people do, which is they're able to come up with a concept and deliver it to its completion and never touch it again, unless they're George Lucas, never touch it again um, <laughs> at once they're done with it. And like, right. they have a vision and they bring it to 100% completely perfection completion at a certain point in time um right. and i just don't work that way i'm i'm in startups i put out an mvp i tweak it i improve it every yeah. week i'm just adding new things um and i'm an iterative person not a perfectionist so right um which is very good for startups but very not good but, for I'm, but i'm sure there are plenty of filmmakers out there that have that same approach too i mean like if you look at the filmography of a lot of directors like you know um take george romero for example like and by the way i'm a huge movie fan as well so like we've got a lot of common ground here that we can we can explore because if i'm i'm so fascinated by the movie industry but like if you look at his like filmography like you can i mean his his style was kind of born out of necessity you know and, and the restrictions that he had from a budgetary perspective and like some of the best work comes from that and i'm sure if you sat him down and asked him like is that film the way you imagined it in your head is that what you want it to be You're like no absolutely not like yeah. you know and a lot of it is kind of like you're making it's almost like the iterative process happens movie to movie sometimes yeah. you know what i mean you can kind of see that and then and then eventually like years down the line you get to see the actual thing that they really wanted to make you know yeah. i um, mean like, what's the, what's cameron's the, like that because james cameron yeah wrote avatar like 12 years before we made it because the technology wasn't yeah. ready yet um i mean talk about patience like jesus wow. christ like that's insane um but yeah there is that but there's also kind of i'm i'm sure every single movie or not every single film director i'm, I'm i've heard interviews with some that are like yep that's perfect um yeah. but most film directors i'm sure do have the looking back i would do something differently oh yeah 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 but the problem is you can't you can't because it's out and yeah, yeah. Unless Lucas, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, the the other thing with Tutti, I can I can go back into the story a bit, but um, I came up with ideas for this, what Tutti is evolving to be over time, and what our plan for the next twenty years is. Um, I've come up with this idea over time for many years, and it all plays into the same puzzle into the same project with films mm. you, you are done with the project and then you move on like yeah. again even if you're making sequels like the you are done you are not tweaking the original and mm. uh, it is finished it is kaput done yeah i with tutti i have this grand massive system that i know we're working towards but it is mm. along the journey we're going to tweak the, the thing that we started with day one. Like we're gonna constantly update it and improve it. So that my the way I work is so drastically different to how filmmakers need to work, 
um, that I realized that that wasn't um, for me. Well, actually, no, I realized this after I stopped doing, <laughs> doing film, but it made sense afterwards. There's also the fact that there's an incredible skill of someone who's able to write something down on paper, mm. visualize it with a crappy drawing, aka a storyboard, and then uh, pull all the pieces together to make it a reality in beautiful production, um, mm. which is something I have the bits of that skill, which is what allows me to design and build the technology that I'm building, um, which I personally think is quite good considering how small a budget we are on. Um, mm. But yeah, I that's another skill that I'm super impressed by every time yeah. anyone, anyone does that. Yeah, sorry, it's the thing popping up here. Yeah, you're, I mean, it, it's um, it's one of those things that always amazes me about filmmaking and why I'm so fascinated by it is that um, it's almost like the the original remote or distributed workplace kind of model in that these, essentially these entire companies, right? Obviously there's a film studios and everything like that, but essentially these entire productions employ people, get the team together, assemble around a project. It, it goes up for a few months, does what it needs to do and then disappears. And then yeah. everyone moves on to different projects. Like the logistics of that, the operational aspects of that is just mind bogglingly complex. And like, yeah. you're like, you know, with Tutti is the one element of that, which is like the talent, uh, sorry, the location scouting side of it. Like, you know, that's just one element of all these moving parts that needs to be scheduled, that it needs to be timed with the actors, it needs to fit the, 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 the vision of the director. Like, there's so many moving parts. I don't think many people appreciate just how much goes into filmmaking and how incredibly com complex it is compared to any other type of industry, really, in that it yeah. just pops up out of nowhere, this really complex sort of organism, uh, and then just dissipates. It's just nuts. Like, there's yeah. no other thing like that. You know what I mean? I mean, if people stayed all the way through the credits, then they might appreciate that. But... Well, yeah, yeah, but who does? Like, <laughs> most, you know, most, pe most people sit there and like, oh, well, this was good or this was shit, you know, and then that's it. Like, they don't, it's kind of crazy. But did you, did you, did you complete film school then? Or did you, yeah. did you stop? I, I mean, you did. I have film yeah. Really? I, Amazing. I saw you. So do you have any? So do you have any movies out there that you've made? Yeah, there's, there's stuff on YouTube that I think people can find. Um, I've got a couple things on Vimeo and a couple things on YouTube that I think people can find if they look hard enough. In fact, if they go to my personal website, which I never tell anyone about, but it does exist. Um, your, I have what, your what website? My personal website, which is just gabrielisalis.com. Um, okay. It is, it has that entire website is covered by my like creative work to show that I actually know what I'm talking about. So yeah, and there's yeah. photos of mine, like I've worked as a photographer for many years. Um, yeah. There's some videos of mine. Yep, uh, that's one of my favorite photos at the top. Um, and then, yeah, I've got, I'm very good at animal photography, so I've got lots of animal photography. Um, and yeah. Um, so lovely photograph. I love that. Yeah, that's Christoph. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, I'm just I'm discovering stuff about you. I didn't know this is really cool. I'm going to have to dive into this. Um, but cool. there's yeah, there's uh, I've got I've worked as a photographer for a, a long time because I bought a very good camera for film when I was in film mm -hmm. school, 
and it doubles as a very good uh, photo camera. It was a 5D Mark II for anyone who's a camera nerd listening. Um, and so, yeah, I worked as a photographer for many things, which is where I learned even more about a creative discipline industry that is like is great. And there's so many incredible people working on it, but it also has so many flaws in the the big mission of Tutti is to give creators more time to create because people get into mm. the creative industries to create, not to do admin, not to do yeah. whatever else they have to do. The creative industry has no technology behind them. Um, they have spreadsheets and Google Calendar and WhatsApp and email, and it's a massive mess of generic uh, like tech that people rely on to get their careers off the ground. Mm. And we want to basically unleash more creativity across the world. And the way that we see we can do that is by automating as much admin or creators. So the yeah. big, big picture of Tutti is giving creators more time to create by building technology that automates admin. Mm. That's it. And and you know that's a common that's a common thread that I see with a lot of B two B SaaS is that you know it's like. Uh, like for example, working with Booksy when I did, you know, the the the, the sort of the, the main driving force behind that was like, if you're a barber, a hairdresser, or, you know, a stylist, a beautician, like you know how to do your thing. You want to do your thing. You don't want to have to be distracted by all of it because of a lot of people in the in creative spaces, especially, they don't they didn't go to business school. They haven't got the time or the or necessarily the interest to learn the the administrative side, the financial side. Some do obviously, but but the majority don't. So it's like whatever you can do to kind of do that lifting or at least get you know make that stuff easy to understand then it gives them more time to focus on what they love because unfortunately a lot of people in these sort of creative industries they get burnt out and get disillusioned by it because they realize oh actually i've got to do all of this stuff and that's not what i signed up for so actually this isn't what i want to do anymore because of now i need to do something i didn't actually realize was part of it do you know what i mean yeah so it can keep that passion there do you know what i mean i think that's the important thing isn't it yeah by, by just eliminating these these the boring side of it i guess i mean the, i think i think a, pla a platform that can also make it fun to do those things like that's even better right i mean actually that was something i was thinking about yesterday we're nowhere near that uh stage yet but we are one of my favorite quotes uh from a director was when jj abrams was asked about how he was trying to like make star wars episode seven um, mm. Let's disregard the fact that he did episode nine. I think he was pushed into a bunch of things that he did not want to do with that. Episode yeah. seven was great um, because his main purpose, when he was asked, like, what are you trying to do? He said, uh, I want this film to de delight people. That's it. Mm. It needs to be delightful. And uh, I think he achieved that. And yeah. that yeah. is. I've heard that time and time again with different technology companies and different different people who really excel in their work. They say, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to delight people with what I do. And that's the same. You can apply the same word to Tutti. Uh, we're definitely not there yet. We're on MVP level of that. But there are some interfaces that we have plans for. There's uh, the data that we're collecting today is leading towards systems that we can put into place when we, we have actual funds and we can hire people full time um mm. and 
all of this is leading towards the point where we will utterly blow people's minds away with how useful and simple and delightful our technology is in five, ten years, even two years, maybe. Um, yeah. So that's the goal with us as well. But um, it takes time. Yeah, I, it does. But I really like that. And I think that's that's something that more SaaS founders should be mindful of when when looking at sort of developing a platform is that it, it does. I mean, for so many reasons, it does need to be delightful to use. For I mean, if if nothing else, just just you know, churn prevention, right? If you if you really want to go with like you know, trying to find the, the the black and white reason for it, well, you want people to to enjoy using your platform, you know, yep. not just from a educational purpose or because it helps them. Like value is one thing, but actually engagement is an entirely different thing. Like, yep. and that isn't just about creating a UI that is easy to understand or easy to digest. Like that's just common sense. You need to create a platform that works well. But then, yeah, I think that's a really important thing you touched on there is like actually making it enjoyable, the experience yeah. enjoyable to use. It's a very different thing. One one that, that you know, sort of uh, a lot of creative spaces like actually have got really right. So like if you look at like game, you know, the game indus gaming industry and things like that, you know, even things like navigating menus, like they spend a lot of time on trying to make that just as engaging sort of like going through let's say you know inventory screens and things that would otherwise be kind of cumbersome and boring they have found ways to make these different things engaging like that's important because you want to create you know people to get immersed like there's elements of that not to that extent but there's elements of that i think you're right that can be pulled you know inspiration there for sure actually we were talking about this just the other day <laughs> Um, yeah, my internet is not great. Uh, we were talking about this the other day um, about Tutti, which was we're, we're obviously still trying to figure out how to be delightful. There's, mm. uh, especially as an MVP, um, there are, I, I believe UX is a massive part of it. UI is useful um, because mm. it needs to be pretty, but UX and when people expect, because people have been trained on how systems work over the last uh like 10 20 years now um mm. they expect certain things to work certain ways and when they don't work certain ways they get less delighted <laughs> they get annoyed yeah. when they do work exactly as expected out of the box that's delightful mm. so uh we're constantly trying to figure out ways to improve that and there are never-ending <laughs> ways for us to do that and then there's um the what we were talking about the other day, which is the wow moment where it suddenly clicks in someone's head uh, that, oh, this is useful, or oh, this is yeah. fun, the dopamine hit. And mm -hmm. obviously, there's a lot of research into how dopamine hits in apps are bad, but uh, there's yeah. also there's effective, not terrible ways of using it. And mm -hmm. I brought up the example of World of Warcraft. For anyone who has played yeah. World of Warcraft for at least one level, <laughs> um, and they went through the first level, and when they uh, leveled up to level two, there's mm. massive gold explosion happens, and um, it's this beautiful uh, visual on the screen with a wonderful chime in the background, and mm. it just makes you so happy when you hit that, uh, hit that, and you're like, oh, I want to do that again. How do I do that yeah. again? Oh, I level up. I spend more time on this. Um, mm. And while, yes, World of Warcraft has used that to suck 
millions of people into <laughs> spending way too many hours on World of Warcraft, including myself. Um, the the science behind that, like getting them to experience that, and then mm. that being the trigger to bring people in to do more. Where I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out what that golden explosion can be in Tutti to mm. convince someone, ooh, this is useful. I'm going to continue using this for embedded into my entire systems. Because, yeah, then the other side of our, our site, I mentioned earlier, we have this massive plan. We have this massive 20-year plan, um, which is like, I know exactly what we want to do, but how we do it uh, still, we'll, we'll write that over the next 20 years. But um, in order to achieve that, we have to nail one thing that is a important part of the industry at the very beginning. So what we chose yeah. to go with was spaces. Spaces are vital to almost every single event and project and everything out there. Uh, a location can completely make or break uh, a film set. I actually, I had uh, the idea the other day, which I didn't manage to do because mid-journey was not allowing me to access, but I had the idea of putting the Bridgerton cast into like some grungy little aesthetic using mid-journey and being like <laughs> Bridgerton in a castle versus a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, <laughs> or a ca council estate in, uh, in like yeah. South London or something. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly um and yeah and so just showcasing the location and the the place that something is done whether it's uh for us the aesthetics like in bridgerton or for functionality if like a large mm -hmm. crew like someone putting on a show for maroon 5 they need a massive stadium with all of the setup um both of those are two very distinct creative needs out there mm. And right now, the way that people find those spaces and book those spaces is incredibly broken. So that's what we're trying to yeah. pick. Incredibly um, complex, long-winded, uh, time-consuming, yeah. What? But to go back to what you said about sort of this gamification, and I say the word gamification hesitantly because I think it comes with some sort of preconceived notions about what that means, like sort of an unnecessary addition or um, unnecessary complexity or, or almost like making things childlike. But I think actually gamification used, like you said, in an intelligent way, in a way that isn't manipulative as much as it is sort of more rewarding, like has huge potential. And you're right, it is it is difficult to kind of know what to pull from from where to, to add that in. But I, I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for that in SaaS because if I think you're right, it's uh, I mean, OK, of course, it's not something you're going to build into your own for MVP. And it's not because you know, it's a hugely expensive undertaking or whatever. But like. But but you know yeah like to, to, I would say that you mentioned like there's the different sort of uh, points there's like the value points and then there's like, you know that moment where you go oh this is hugely useful and that people have learned what to expect from software I would say there's kind of like another point which is when something happens unexpected when you encounter something pleasantly unexpected yeah. right. So when, when a piece of software does something in your day-to-day -day use, especially B2B, you're using it regularly, and it unexpectedly helps you in a way or delivers on something that you had no real knowledge of, right, walking in, and that's a pleasant surprise. Like To me, that's almost a form of that gamification in the sense that it's delivering, it's, it's becoming pleasant, it's going above and beyond kind of what you thought was possible. 
Yeah. And and I think we're seeing that more now with the additions of things like AI and so on, where you know the, the our expectations of what you get out of software is changing, and it's actually surpassing those expectations now. Um, which does mean that the, the expectations are going to be higher moving forward. But like, yeah. I like that you, you don't need AI to deliver that, is my point. I think you can just deliver that with great UI, great UX, um, and great planning, where you sort of click something and you go, oh, wow, it's done way more than I expected. Like, this is awesome. You know, that's what I and love then, about. Yeah, part of that is uh, underselling, over-delivering. If, you if you're building tech that is like miles ahead of what the industry is used to, you can sell yeah. kind of parts of your tech and not like not try and move the industry too fast ahead too too quickly and just yeah. say okay we know that you're frustrated with this uh we can help you with this uh and you don't have to mention all the shiny bells and whistles that you have uh yeah. hidden within the system which is actually something you taught me as <laughs> i was telling people all these bells and whistles we were going to add and you were like don't don't mention those <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sell them what you're doing now i was like okay um yeah so yeah we we definitely need to yeah that, that's that's how you how you get people hooked is is underselling over delivering and uh just generally delighting customers so mm. that's what we're trying to do um although when i say we're trying to do the rest of the team is focused on just making sure that Twitty as a as a platform and as a system as it stands today works and grows mm. my my head is mostly focused on that and then occasionally thinking how can we delight how can we improve how can we and just moving a couple couple years ahead every now and then yeah and and um yeah and like the, the reason why I, i'm a big um advocate for that approach as well is like it's that element of discovery you know and you know because you don't want to overwhelm people right it, like it does this and it does that because of your, your platform just to clarify for, for anyone listening as well and watching is that it's um, a marketplace and a SaaS solution to for for, for venues and, and locations to to manage so there's a lot going on right and i think it's quite um you know it's very hugely high you know highly valuable on multiple fronts but of course what you, you can fall in the trap of is when you offer so much value of, of kind of overwhelming people and you know with if, if what what's on offer and it kind of and it all just becomes noise and it just blurs into one um or it can feel a bit like snake oil because if it's almost like you know if you sort of um start saying oh we can do this and it can do that then after a while it's like going can it <laughs> you know what i mean like there's a lot of things but there's an element of discovery there which i think is is inherent we like to once we've got the main point of it once we're in like i said then you you can start exploring you go oh it does this as well and it does this as well or it's you know you do that with hand holding it to an extent for an onboarding process and you kind of you know re um, reveal it to them over time because yeah. i really love that for engagement as well um which we talked about before with the with like um uh, I'm a huge advocate of, I keep saying that, but I am a huge advocate of um, proactive customer success, you know, in the in this nature of sort of uh, having touch points over, like, say, the first three to six months of a of a new uh, a new client's um, life cycle with you in getting in touch and saying, hey, did you know that we also do this? And did yeah. you know that you can do that? And it's this constant re revelation of like, wow, like, I'm so glad I'm paying for this. You know, I, I love that because it's every 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 call, every every discussion is a new discovery phase almost. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, and we're we're trying to build that in right now. We're uh, watching on the call. Um, we are an absolutely minuscule company. I'm the only full time person in the UK. 
Uh, we have three full-time engineers in India, and then everyone else is part-time. Uh, and we've mm. raised a pre-seed so far. Um, so a tiny pre-seed. So we are tiny. Um, but lots of people think that we're absolutely massive. Mm. But so we're because we're tiny, we're still figuring out a lot of things. And one thing that we recently figured out in the last couple months was a good, strong go-to-market strategy for moving forward, which is where we don't sell uh, them on everything. We sell them mm. on one thing that is most important to them. And yeah. that's visibility slash exposure for the the venues that are out there. There mm. are so many venues. We've, we've identified on like basic searching that there might be 150,000 creative venues across the UK. Mm. Uh, and that's not including homes, of which we're uh, listing a lot of, and mm. not including uh, corporate properties and all sorts of things that we can list. Uh, so there's just... It's ridiculous how many properties there are um, yeah. that could be used on Tutti. And yeah, we it's really, really hard to find them right now. Mm -hmm. So especially to find the right type of space. So there are lots of websites out there that are platforms where you can find space. But generally, you normally can't search by the type of space they are. Uh, very few of them have open text fields where you can type in what you need and it'll pop up uh, something relevant. Mm -hmm. And very few of them collect any more data than maybe dimensions, capacity, Wi-Fi, maybe parking. When I was telling people that we had a Wi-Fi filter, they were blown away. I was like, that's that's really a low part. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, and price and a couple other things. Mm. And there's no, well, before Tutti, there were almost no search systems that allowed you to filter for more than like five elements. We mm. have. 40 elements that you can search by because we know that creators either need specific facilities or equipment in their space or they need specific aesthetics and mm. you never know what someone needs so there's just so many different things uh we've recently added so that you can search by fireplaces or by swimming pools whether they're indoor or outdoor all sorts it's of like fe features kind of thing yeah yeah um, where was i going with that so there are so many spaces out there that want to get found. So our go-to-market mm. strategy is simply giving them free, uh, free marketing. If they come mm. list with us, they get, uh, they get free marketing, and then we will, we're figuring out a good follow-on system where we'll be like, okay, here's here's the next thing. Oh look, here's this surprising thing. Oh, you you thought free marketing would lead to no bookings? Here's a booking for you, and and stuff like that. And we will. Yeah. It'll be a very, yeah, there's a lot to figure out, but I think this go-to-market strategy that we just figured out is is a winner, and it, it leads mm -hmm. to, like, it's incredibly low CAC, and it, uh, sorry, cost of acquisition, and um, it's it just leads to high growth, high network effects, just everything that we need, so mm -hmm. it's exciting. And you haven't really even touched on the SaaS side of things, too. Because mm -hmm. like that, that, that in of itself is 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 enough to warrant wanting to be a part of Tutti. Like even if, you know, listing listing aside and all of the value you've just talked about there and being part of the platform and the ecosystem where people can, you know, send booking requests and discover your 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 location or whatever. Like there's a whole suite of tools to manage the team, to manage invoicing, to manage internal communications. Why don't you explain a bit about that and what that does? Can I clarify? We don't have invoicing yet. 
with payment. Oh, no, that, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. We'll, you mentioned we'll that get to um, But yeah. yeah, so we have, over the last few years, we've been working on building this marketplace and we've worked with lots of venues and we've just learned so much about them. And we've mm. had really honest like conversations with so many of them. And they, when I was trying to fundraise originally in 2021 and got nowhere, we started talking more and more to our customers and being like, okay, how can we really help you? Uh, I didn't ask that. I asked them more detailed questions, but yeah. um, it, I had a couple conversations with a couple venues and I said, how do you manage bookings internally? So we, we send you bookings through the marketplace, but you receive bookings from other marketplaces, your website, phone calls, etc. How do you manage them? Okay, seems low tech. Ask a couple more people, spreadsheets, Google Calendar. Okay, there's a trend here. And then I went to a couple venues and what was it? Uh, asked one of them, or I asked all of them how they had a CRM. Some of them used MailChimp, but not for sending email, just for uh, the CRM function of MailChimp. Uh, right. Some of them as a CRM had Google Docs uh, like sheets and they put the name of the user at the top as the title of the Google Doc. And then every time they interacted with the user, they would manually add them uh, a note to the Google Doc. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> there were like a bunch of other use cases. And then uh, mm. there was one company that I asked them, what's your calendar? And like, which do you use Google or Outlook? And they pointed at the wall, which was three whiteboards on the wall. And they were labeled, January, March, February, or January, February, March. And I was like, yeah. uh, what? And he's like, yeah, okay. So our calendar is not online. It's those three whiteboards. And I said, how, how do you Jeez. take when you're not in the office? And he said, yeah, we don't. Um, yeah. We we can only take bookings in the office. And I said, don't you miss bookings? Yep. Yeah. Have you ever thought of changing that? We've never found software that works for our sector. And I kept right. hearing that phrase and I was like, okay. Hmm. And that's, that's the opportunity. Yeah. So there's a lot of software out there. There are, there are a few pieces of tech that kind of work for the sector. And there's one that's built for the sector that was recently acquired. So I don't know if it's going to be uh, evolved away from it. Um, but no one, no one has really nailed, uh, a SaaS enabled marketplace for this sector. So that's what mm. we're aiming for. Mm. Yeah, very cool. But I mean, like that, that must be music to your ears and to some degree, right? But uh, you're, you are also a, a technical founder. Would that be the right term? Technical. I'm going to really put air quotes. I, I'm always so hesitant to call myself like acting CTO because I'm really, really not. My lead developer, Darmil, uh, is if anyone is, he's acting CTO. Um, right. he, he manages the the dev team in India. He does most of the coding himself. He mm. he's brilliant. Um, super lucked out with finding him. But I I'm technical enough that I'm able to do some of the R and D when I'm trying to figure out how we're going to implement a uh, sprint. I will look into the APIs I believe we need. I tell them which calls I think we need, and I'll hand it over to them and say what do you think and sometimes they'll be like yes we agree and sometimes they'll think no absolutely not um mm. sometimes they've turned around and said we should definitely use this other uh piece of tech i think the interesting thing darmil uh this 
uh, engineer of mine, he was the one who suggested that we separate the software and the marketplace onto two different websites because mm -hmm. uh, previously, well, on, we still do, we have all of the host systems on the back end of the marketplace and it's all one website. And he said, if SEO is our focus, SEO likes fast websites. If we can move all the host, uh, everything off of that website, then we can remove so much code from the website and we can speed it up. Um, so that was interesting. Good advice, yeah. Um, and he also said it's nice to have separation, which I agree with. Uh, so we weren't going to do that. And then he turned around and gave that suggestion. I was like, yep, let's do that. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's, that's, that's really like, that's really difficult advice to find in, in a, in a lead developer or a development team in general. Right. Like so many developers are afraid of, of, um, you know, especially if they're kind of only working in a part-time or remote capacity, afraid of losing the work and disagreeing with their, with their employer or their client. Yeah. Um, and 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 all coming up with ideas that might sort of ha require a fundamental change in the way that you would plan something. That's that that for me is hugely valuable to have because you can you can always say no. Like it's very yeah. rare that you would find someone say, "Well, I don't want to work with you anymore." But they are just terrified of doing that because if they are often quite, you know, quite often really in need of the work. You know, if they're smaller agencies and so on. Um, so that's hugely valuable that you found that someone that's able to be, you know, come come to the table with actually very useful advice for the long term of the yeah. of the of the company rather than just the short term delivery of you know whatever thing you're working on at the time. Yeah, and I'm so lucky, and I my mm. uh, engineers are all in India, um, mm. and they're fully remote, but they are in house team members. They work options in the business. Uh, they are, yeah, a lot of people have this stigma about overseas engineers and mm. there's definitely truth to that if you don't know what you're doing when it comes to uh, like managing engineers and working with engineers and all sorts of things. If you go and tell engineers to go and build something, build a calendar integration into my app, then yeah, okay, they're not going to build it the way you want. If you say... Yeah okay, we want to do a calendar integration and it needs to work in these like 10 ways and these are the designs and wireframes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I, I write absolutely pages and pages for every single sprint that I uh, create. And it is so detailed to the point of like spacing and wording and all sorts yeah. of things. Um, and it is, yeah, my team have successfully built what I've told them to build. Um, mm, so, mm. I if I, that, if I gave myself a acting non CEO title, I'd say CPO because I don't think I have right. the qualifications to claim that I'm a CTO. <clears throat> Partly because if I look at the code, I'm like, uh, I know what some of this does. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because of that is e exactly the advice that I have given multiple times, which is when it comes to working with developers, a sort of try and get a, quite familiar with the way that you know development teams work or developers work but over communicate your idea because like you said if you say i want when people land on this page i want x to happen that's too vague it needs to be exactly what you want to happen exactly how do you expect it to look and yeah even down to things like you know 
you know, font type and spacing. And like, you, you have to be precise. Otherwise they will just do whatever, like, you know, cause they are quite often interested in just getting it done as quickly as possible, moving on to the next thing. And more importantly, like, you know, they are technical. They're not, they're not going to be too focused on the way something looks, but more about its functionality. Right. So yeah. like there's a, there's a client I'm working with at the moment where we're putting together a presentation actually for again an Indian an Indian based um, development company, um, and you know we and, and and he had sort of drafted some of it up. I was like, way too simple. Like we need to go way in. Like we need screenshots. We yeah. need wireframes. We need we need to make it like really really clear. And that's not because like oh you know otherwise um, they'll make mistakes. It's just because of like it needs to be. It needs to be clear like you you know it's it's not to, like to, to to criticize anyone it's just the same with anyone when any other uh aspect of a business moving forward like and you'll experience this in years to come too is directions just the clearer they are like the better result you get like it's yeah. just communi communication strong communication is like the number one skill set i would say for a founder or a leader in general right be clear about what you want and you're, you're more likely to get it and as you evolve relationships with these uh, engineers and or any anyone that you're working with, you will eventually you won't have to be so detailed over time. So when my right. you develop started, a shorthand over time, yeah. Into an when, I, right? yeah. when we started, like I had to be very detailed. Now I rarely give them wireframes. I do give them wireframes sometimes. And when I I mm. I'll, I'll often write things and say, "Do you need a wireframe for this?" And if they say yes, then I make it. If they don't, then mm. I don't. Uh, it saves me time. Um, but Sorry, a bug has just made its way in. Well, as in like an actual bug or like a, a software bug? An actual bug. Oh, okay. oh, well. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, like I, what we do is, yeah, we, we work very quickly. And I guess mm. a, a lot of engineers in India and overseas are used to working on a project by project basis. They they deliver a project and then they move on. That was something yeah. we had to untrain with our team. Was like when they were first working on the project, they thought that they were they were done after a bit, and it's like, no, this is this is an ongoing relationship. I want you to be working mm -hmm. with me as long as you can. If we work well together, and I've been fortunate enough that almost every engineer who uh, I've started I've worked with has been utterly brilliant, mm -hmm. uh, and we we really enjoy working together. Um, at least I, I do. I they say they do calls. I hope they do. <laughs> um, but they are a very polite nation, so you never know. <laughs> um, but that's true because otherwise, you know, if there's this um this expectation that it's just deliver it and move on, what you can find and what I've experienced with developers in the past is that they don't actually build the thing with any care for who comes next. Because they're, they're they're sort of like you know, and it can be quite messy on the back end. And look, I don't I don't claim to know I mean, enough to to know the difference. But like apparently, I've seen in a lot of cases where you know other people have come in after and gone, "What has this person done? Like they've not built this to have a second pair of eyes look at yeah, it." Do you know what I mean? That, that's engineers. That is engineers. Full stop. That is engineers. Just right. everywhere. So my friend uh, just recently parted ways with his CTO, and he's had a brilliant engineer come in to try and take over. And uh, the the new engineer is just like, I have no idea what's going on. Why is this <laughs> done this way? Why is this done with this way? And the CTO was UK based uh, engineer, right. so it's it's really it's a lot like getting a plumber or electrician, isn't it? If you've ever had anyone come round, like they always criticise whoever fitted the stuff before. 
there was like, oh, whoever put this in was a cowboy. And like, you know, sometimes it's the same person and you know, you don't have the heart to say like, oh, actually it was you a couple of years ago. You just don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have the heart to say that, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm learning the ways so, of the touch. Uh, anyways, what yeah. what would you say? What would you say is? I think this is an interesting one because of actually because I, I there's a couple of books that I recommend to early stage founders actually about how to communicate with developers because it is it is almost like speaking a different language. Like and then you've often got an actual language barrier as well on top of that. Yeah. But even speaking to 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 UK based English you know fluent English speaking native English speaking developers, there's a language barrier of the way that you you visualize something and if you're especially if you're you don't have a technical background um to try and describe sort of what your vision is to then get them to understand it so there's some books i often recommend on that but what would you say like some you know what would advice would you give let's say to to any up-and-coming founder who's like looking for a, a someone to work on their project from a technical standpoint like what should they be looking for and how should they be kind of communicating their idea in those early, early stages you think um well i would i would slightly go against the book suggestion i would just go and do it <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the way that we did it is that we had a technical advisor donnie come in and he is kind of a connecting force between us and our developers so he would right. uh he has 20 years of experience as a cto there are lots of people like him but uh like he's brilliant and i can introduce anyone who wants to him um his company his company at the moment is called sixberries.com and his name is donnie bachan b-a-c-h-a-n right. anyway so he he came on as a technical advisor and he introduced me to engineers overseas that he vetted because i was right. not in a position to vet them myself so i trusted uh him to be in the right to have the knowledge to vet people correctly and he did he did mm -hmm. a really good job um and he then introduced me to these engineers and these engineers work with me directly. Uh, I think actually at the very beginning, they didn't work with me directly and it didn't go so well. Uh, but uh, after a couple of months of them doing work and then delivering and then me realizing that it was completely the wrong project or completely not to spec as, I, as I'd imagined because there had been a loss of translation, uh, both me and the engineers were like, please, can we, let, can we talk to each other? And we, mm. when we formed the relationship and we started working together directly together, um, and we uh, the way that we communicate. This was worked out, so this took a long time to figure out. We I had never worked with a team of engineers before. Uh, the mm -hmm. reason I do know bits of technical stuff is because I studied programming at university. Um, I have most of a programming degree, but I was never very good at programming, but I do know the basics. Like I, I, I studied databases structure and I studied uh, web and mobile application application development. I did build an iOS and an Android app at some point. Neither of them were uh, hmm. worth shouting home about. Um, and <laughs> so I knew bits and pieces like that, but I'd never uh, overseen a collection of developers before. And when I started working with these developers, uh, JD and Maddie uh, to start with, they we figured out processes. So we had Slack for communicating every single day, not mm. about what they were doing. I trusted them to get on with what they needed to do. But if they wanted a question, if they had a question about the specific thing they were working on, they would ping me, I'd reply quickly. Um, and it was mostly Slack to start with. Then we started, we built in Asana into our workflow 
So now we have Asana, which is every single project that we are doing, separate sprint. So like new section of the website or new feature, I create a detailed Asana project about it, why we're doing it, what it is, um, any information that I think is relevant, any R&D, any questions that I don't know the answer to that I think they should go and find out, um, anyone that I think they should speak to that is an expert in this specific feature set that I know of. Um, and then uh, it's become more and more detailed over time as we build out. Mm. We build out an admin panel, a data tech stack, and a bunch of other things. And we consider all of those for every single project we're doing. Now. But when it started, it was just what, why, R&D, what the project is. Yeah. Um, so we have that, and we I send that to them. And then they go through it. They ask me any questions. Uh, we figure out what's going on. And then um, we go out and start building it. And then once they built a first version, they hand it to me on a test server. Um, well, actually, this is now they now we have a QA engineer, but it used to be me. They would hand it to me mm -hmm. on a test server. I would test it and then give them feedback. And with Loom is the main tool I use for feedback because I do video mm -hmm. recording of me using it and point out things that are going wrong. Um, but then also screenshots and everything. And mm -hmm. Then uh, they will go and tweak it. I'll do another round of QA. We'll do we'll do that until we get it to the point where I think it's ready. Sometimes we have to push it before it's ready, ready because we can't be perfectionists. But mm. if it's good enough, then we push it live and we either keep tweaking it or we move on to the next thing. Um, mm. And so that's how projects work. And we've wor we work that out. We work that system out over like six months of working together because right. everything is different, but that's what worked for us. So yeah. today we have it down to a bit of a science, although sometimes we get a little carried away. Last month I assigned them four sprints rather than one sprint. I try and limit it to one sprint. Right. Um, and, um, but yeah, so we, it's one sprint a month if we can. Uh, we do Slack for almost all communications. And every Monday morning, we have a meeting scheduled in to ask how they, what they did last week, what they're doing this week, what the plans are, what the timeline is, and uh, any other questions that, like, if there's a complex question they need the answer to, that it'll be easier to get over call rather than Slack message. Great. Mm. Um, those meetings are scheduled for half an hour. I don't think a single one has ever taken more than 15 minutes. Oh, really? Oh, okay. The one last week took four minutes. Like, right. it, the main purpose for me is to unblock them. If they aren't blocked, yeah. I want them to get back to working on the uh, the code as quickly as possible. And yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's the most used, it's the only repeat meeting that I have in my calendar um, mm. until we have R1 now. To to try and make it like as effective as possible. Yeah, so, because because you could you could probably very easily fall into the trap of that that half an hour meeting becoming a regular hour meeting when in fact what you're doing is you're just going over everything that you've been sending over in your sprints and that's not the point of it, right? Yeah. It's just to check is everything clear? Uh, you know, are we on target? You know, what was done? What's coming up? Um, are there any blockers? No. Okay, in that case, let's just go. Right. That's that's. You know that's the, the goal. and i think that's a, an important lesson for most uh leaders or founders to, to be aware of is there is a, a very much a trap that you can fall into where 
for, for meetings, especially like in stand-ups and, and team meetings where you feel like that's the time to sort of brief everyone. It's not. It's just, is everyone okay? Can we, you know, are there any questions that need to be asked? Any difficulties? Does anyone need any help? If not, then we can end early. Like, let's let's get back to it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I guess the one other part of our ways of working is that we have a sprint that is always running that's uh, the kind of in the background, which is bugs. And mm. we actually now, because we've been working together for years now, uh, we refresh it every year. So every December to January, we go through the old bugs and we make sure that they are still active bugs. Well, Vidi, our QA engineer, does this. Um, and she creates a brand new channel and oh, a new project and adds anything that's still relevant to that from the last year. But mm. um, it's a nice refresh every year. But it's it's a bugs channel. so. Uh, it's mostly me and Vidi adding to it, but other team members can if they if they come across things. And mm -hmm. it's just a collection of every single bug we ever find on the site. And of course, there's going to be bugs. There's countless things that, um, like either are bugs or is fine, but it would be better if it did this. Like I get customer feedback to say. Uh, can you add this? I'm like, yeah, okay, tweak. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think How we you probably have. You, you okay. sorry, you that just reminded me of something. You you have a um, you use a platform for gathering uh, suggestions, don't you, from users? No, we don't. We probably should at some point, but right now we don't have enough users giving us suggestions that. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought you did. Um, yeah. So how how do they do it now? Just just you know, if yeah. they contact you or yeah, with email or, or any social. Yeah. 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 I think that's really important, though, isn't it? To have that feedback loop, um, you know, and be, be building in a direction of, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, like going back to what you said about the SaaS side of things, I mean, that was literally created off the back of feedback. So that that's obviously a good place to start. But then as you're moving forward, right, to ensure that there's that continuous feedback loop is a really important thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Look, I want to I want to bring the conversation, if you don't mind, back to film. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, you you've mentioned a couple of direct, directors a moment ago, um, who are your favourite directors? Favourite directors um, in animation. Uh, oh, we've got categories. We're going. We're going categories. I, I like this. Um, Dean, I think his name is Dean Dubois, uh, the guy who directed the three How to Train Your Dragon uh, movies. Amazing movies. Love um, those movies. And then, yeah. uh, and then one of my crossover directors, of which there's very, very few in the world, who directed both animation and live action, is Brad mm. Bird. Brad Bird, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did like Toy Story and uh, The Incredibles. I think he did Toy Story. He did The Incredibles for sure. Incredibles one and two, and then he also did Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, so Mission Impossible four, um, yeah. and a few other movies. And he's brilliant um the incredible movies by the way hugely like underrated in my book as like especially if you like to consider the superhero genre as yeah. a whole like yeah. you know a lot of people consider the the, the first incredible incredibles movie to be the best fantastic movie fantastic four movie ever made like because it is it's, it's it, like it's a brilliant movie also the second one is incredible because uh there's no time jump between the two movies but the they were move they were made like 12 years apart so yeah, the kids yeah. 
the voice actors for the kids in the first one had grown up, so their voices were no longer the same. So they went and found other voice act kid voice actors who had the exact same voice as the ones in the really? first one. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's brilliant. And then Peter Peter Jackson is another incredible mm. one. Like obviously yeah. Lord of the Rings, but then also I the reason I went into film was because I would consume the behind the scenes Lord of the Rings endlessly. Yeah. Um, and then I also love that he's one, apparently, according to everyone I know who's met him, uh, like one of the nicest guys ever, the most humble, just genuinely good people in the world. And then he also is, um, uh, he's fascinated with technology. So he invents technology companies to help him with his films. He invented, so forget back which is the beatles documentary on disney he uh looked around he okay i should go back he had all this footage 50 hours worth of footage from uh, uh someone who filmed the beatles when they were uh prepping for their uh, one of their last live shows um and he had this footage that was shot on a few cameras but the audio for it was all recorded on a single mono channel of audio. And the Beatles did not like the fact that they were being recorded. So during the entire time that they were uh, like talking and discussing things, they were strumming on their guitars so that you couldn't hear it on the audio. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went uh, through this footage and was like, I love the footage, but I can't hear anything. This is annoying. No one's going to listen to this. And he went and he tried to find some AI companies out there to uh, that would could go through and like pick out different bits of audio, and he couldn't find anything that met his needs. So he went and funded his own company to then go and build an AI that would go through this mono audio track and pull out every single individual track, so every individual guitar, every individual individual voice, and put mm. them into their separate channels so that then he had like a 24 track mix from a mono channel and he could separately mix it and he could take all the uh, and he could he built that for that movie which is incredible um yeah yeah that's insane yeah he's very cool um and then other people that are in film but are not directors who i would have to mention i am um, a big fan of are Kevin Feige, the the producer mm. and brain behind the MCU, yeah. um, just because he has built uh, such an incredible, uh, incredible uh, like world with MCU. Um, mm. Oh, oh, actor directors, John Favreau. I love John Favreau, director of yeah. Iron Man, yeah, yeah. Um, Lion King, the new one, um, and then obviously the Mandalorian, um, mm. and then back to non-directors. Uh, Michael Giacchino, who is the uh, composer on The Incredibles, uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange, um, uh, Star Trek. And then, yeah, I'd have to give go go back and give a shout out to J.J. Abrams because he was one of my favorite. He's created so much content that I absolutely love. Um, mm-hmm. A really unknown TV show called Fringe that uh, I right. adore, watched all five seasons of it like three times um and it is brilliant and it was uh like created by jj abrams he left after season one but the idea was from him and then he right. also invented the soundtrack music for that so that's cool mm. 
and he and he 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 created Lost originally, right? Yeah, he created Lost, but also left yeah. after a season. He loves to mm -hmm. create storylines where it's like, uh, what's going to happen, and then he leaves, and, and then, then other people abandon it. Yeah. Like, Damn it! I didn't well, mean it for that. His, no, but his whole thing is the mystery box thing, right? That he he gave a, a very quite a famous talk on that, didn't he? I think it was a TED talk, in fact. Um, where he talks about that. And I think the problem is, though, he comes up with this idea of the mystery box, which is this intriguing thing and this intriguing element that is almost an unknown and, and is never really explained in storytelling. But of course, then that is really popular and successful and, of course, becomes a franchise. And the problem with franchises, more often than not, is they want to explain the thing that was the whole point in the first place why it was, you know, really yeah. in intriguing. You know, just like you, the, it's the biggest problem with a lot of monster movies, isn't it? It's like the, the best monster movies, you never really see the monster. Um, but yeah. then in subsequent movies, they show more and more and more. The backstory, they try and make you empathize with them. And like, and by the end of it, you're just like, this isn't scary anymore. Like, I want this guy to be my friend. Like Freddy Krueger, by the end of that, you know, that the, the string of movies was just a joke. Like, you know what I mean? It was no longer scary, um, you know. Not a JJ Abrams. Even like Jason. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great yeah. example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although but that, then, but that yeah. was that was weird though, because like Cloverfield Lane was a weird, weird film because that wasn't originally scripted to be a Cloverfield movie, was it? That was a, a standalone movie, from what I understand. I didn't um, know that. that. Yeah, apparently it was completely written as a completely separate movie about just you know the, the, this scenario and this yeah. whole thing was kind of tagged on at the end because of they basically sort of went this is a great script um, and then they picked it up and decided to sort of squish it into this universe. And I think that was to its detriment. I think it was actually would have been far better as just a psychological thriller um, set in this setting with an unknown quantity on the outside. But as soon as you had that reveal at the end, it like almost pulled me out of it. I was like, that wasn't necessary. We could have we could have cut before that, and it would have been just as compelling, you know. But um, uh, I I hold uh, I okay I I have a sorry good. Say one other uh, filmmaker that I should. Uh, give a shout out to um i wasn't a fan of his uh star wars movie um mm. a fan of his other movies so looper was before that and then knives out and knives out last onion they're both fantastic so. yeah yeah well, sorry what's the name of the director again i think you broke up then ryan johnson ryan johnson that's it yeah 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 yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't, so I, I, I agree with you. I loved Looper for all of its prosthetic faults. Uh, there, there was a bit distracting. I think they could have just not put any prosthetics on uh, that actor. But anyway, um, and uh, yeah, not a huge fan of the Star Wars movie. The second Knives Out movie, I have pro I had problems with that. Um, there was really? something about it that, yeah, yeah. It felt like he had he did what he did with um uh with what was the what i can't remember which episode he directed yeah last what jedi. was it called that one the last episode jedi eight. i had the same problem yeah episode i had the same problems with that movie i enjoyed it in the moment and then afterwards when i sat down thinking about it he started falling apart a bit it felt like the whole thing was a bit of a fuck you to the audience in the the fact that it yeah. was it's, it was very upfront it was very upfront about the fact that this is stupid like this plot doesn't make sense and that's the and that's kind of the point of it like the the, the bad guy is stupid he even says it like the bad guy in this uh, i'm stupid i have no idea what i'm doing and like that kind of felt like you know he wanted to um subvert expectations so much 
that it became somewhat insulting to the audience in the same way that, uh, that episode eight did for me. And and I yeah. but it, and when when you look at the first Knives Out though, it was so clever in its delivery. It was okay with the fact that it was yeah. clever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't feel so screwed over. I think it, it's funny that uh, that was the twist. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. There's he just yeah he he enjoys having fun. He's he's all about having fun anyway. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess that's the main thing, right? But I mean, I still enjoyed it. Like I said, I enjoyed the ride. But then it was when I started to sit down and think about it. That's when I started feeling like I was maybe a little bit robbed <laughs> in a weird way. Like, um, especially in comparison to the first movie, I think because that was so it's so unique in the way it delivered its content and its story and and you know and the, that it yeah it just didn't feel like it was being true to that there were elements though i really loved like the development of the the the, the main protagonist like i thought that was really cool how we got a bit more about him as a character like i 100 percent want to know more about him and see where he goes and what he does like that, well, that I'm, I'll, I'll watch the third one like no doubt about it you know <laughs> yeah next one is coming around because netflix has paid for a trilogy um yeah uh yeah no there's I'm trying to think. There's, um, yeah, there must be other. Uh, I mean, you you haven't mentioned um, uh, Christopher Nolan, which I'm surprised about. And most most cinephiles mention him at some point. Yeah, right? so I, I'm I'm torn on Christopher Nolan. I was gonna. Right. So I I like his earlier movies, but the mm. last two movies I've seen of his in theaters have actually been painful to listen to. Um, right. And I'm incredibly careful with my ears, so is my partner. And we've, mm. anytime that a Christopher Nolan trailer has come up in theaters recently, we've had to mm. cover our ears because they're too loud. Um, oh, really? A directorial choice, but it, it mm. because it wants it to like impact you, but it's also a painful choice, and I don't agree with it. So it's um, becoming more more like Michael Bay kind of territory and well, sort of bombastic. No, very different but he um like <laughs> i actually i i used to enjoy i enjoyed the first transformers but michael bay has uh i had to turn off a movie of his the other day because it was just so bad um <laughs> anyways oh, i um, think i know okay. i think i know which i think i know which one you're referring to is it the one about the bodybuilders no oh okay no, it wasn't but um anyways uh but christopher nolan he like I really respect his filmmaking and I respect all sorts of choices of his. And, um, I absolutely love, um, uh, inception, uh, all the Batman trilogy. Mm. Um, yeah. Interstellar, I, I liked interstellar. I didn't, it, I preferred inception and things like that. Tenet yeah. I enjoyed. Um, but Tenet was where it started getting really, really loud in the gunshots and stuff mm. like that. And it's just, just it's painful to listen to. Yeah, I'll, I'll listen. I'll watch it at home, but um, I don't think it needs to be that loud in cinemas. And there's just this move in the industry to move everything louder and louder and louder, and that's just mm. not enjoyable. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Um, that's why I didn't mention them is because I'm torn. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. But uh, but yeah, like Memento was one of my favourite movies um, back in the day. Incredibly, incredible storytelling and 
like it, yeah, yeah it, it opened my eyes to these this a form of storytelling that I hadn't really considered before. Like in in terms of telling the story through the eyes of the the, the protagonist, um, yeah. or in this case, antagonist. Actually, it was you know, and and yeah, and and then we've seen more movies like that where it's kind of this unreliable narrator way of like we see sort of the most recent Joker movie and like other other films, which I think was really amazing. Yeah. But um, I yeah, there's. There's obviously the the classics that everyone uh, knows of that um, I didn't mention purely because fans uh, directors George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, <coughs> and then uh, music yeah. John Williams. Um, there's also I think it's Harry R Gregson Williams is another composer that I really enjoy, um, mm. and also Alexandra Diplat. Um, also has fantastic scores. Um, there's a number of really, really good uh, composers who I love listening to. Uh, hello? Hello, hello? My entire ah, back. Next my entire internet decided to crap out i was just saying i don't know where you lost me but it was, i was saying uh um gregson williams is a great uh composer then also yeah. steve Jablonski and uh a couple others but yeah that's i love listening to um film uh like soundtracks when i'm uh, when i'm working so I, I I I agree. Like, um, there's a I can't remember at what time, but on Classical FM, I think it's on Fridays. Um, they do a show dedicated specifically to soundtracks, um, and it's like I love like cooking in the kitchen along to that because you get some real nostalgia, and it's amazing how ingrained some of these soundtracks are. Like, yeah. you know, and 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 you'll hear them, and and sometimes you'll just be like. I recognize this. It's like you get the soundtrack from E.T. or Back to the Future and it just sends tingles down his back and not necessarily even like the main theme or anything, but like sometimes just like the, the yeah. you know what I mean? Like just the, yeah. and it's, yeah, it, it's amazing how that feeds in. And it's beautiful as well that like, um, it's great to see as well a lot of uh, younger people get more gravi gravitating, but like we mentioned about your background in classical music, towards yeah. classical music more these days as a result of film. Actually, like I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hearing a lot more about that, which is great. There, there was recently um, something that I, I think it was last year actually, around around this time of year, I was walking through town and I heard the Star Wars. I think it was the Imperial March. I heard the Imperial March blaring. By a full played by a full orchestra out of the town hall, and it yeah. turned out they were practicing for something that they were doing um, for May the fourth, and yeah. uh, it was amazing. And and later on, we were sat in a pub across from it, and we saw all these people walk out. And like it wasn't what you like I expected or envisaged a, an orchestra to be. It was such a mix of 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 ages and 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 things like that all coming out and then they a lot of them came to the pub and we chatted to them and um and it turns out that this is quite a popular thing these days for orchestras to to be going around performing uh, film scores um yeah. because there's, there's I, there, it's a nice entry for people to get into classical music which i think is fantastic yeah i would uh a lot of uh classical musicians mostly in my family would <laughs> would uh very much separate film scores from from traditional classical music but um yeah i but it, but it's a but it's a great entry point i think isn't it for people it to get point. into that environment 
and then yeah. and then want to learn because of, you know these these composers of these film schools you know they they're, they're classically trained they understand the 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 art that they're in um so the the inspiration sometimes for a lot of these film schools is quite clear uh, you can see it. and if you it, it only takes a little bit of digging into the and i don't claim to know anything about classical music but uh, from what i understand it only takes a little bit of digging before you you find those very clear influences from from history's greats in some of the most common mainstream um you know themes that we hear well especially definitely john williams he's talked mm. about a lot i think holst uh uh and wagner inspired uh star wars um yeah. but yeah no there's just there's some there's some really amazing people in the industry um and there's many 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 more exciting people to watch who are up and coming um so I wanted to be in the movie industry when I was younger. So when I was younger, I was adamant that I was going to be a special effects artist. This was my thing, right, when I was a kid. And I would talk about it all the time. And what inspired me was films like The NeverEnding Story, um, The Labyrinth, you know, things like that, where you saw these, and even Star Wars, where you saw these amazing practical effects. It was that film, Jason, The Argonauts as well, that like, I think was the first film I, my dad played for me that I was like, this is what I want to do because I was I, I always drew and I always made stuff and as a kid it was you know really creative I was like this is what I, this is my calling right so I was adamant I went on that path and I, I was like hyper focused on it and then ironically and this is the opposite story to a lot of people for their VFX journeys right the film Jurassic Park came out and as soon as that came out that actually made me go oh shit because my mind my my in my head the road to VFX was practical. And then suddenly this movie came out that sort of said, you now need to be incredibly technically competent, incredibly computer literate. And as a kid who wasn't at the time, I was just like, well, that's it. I can't do it because this is clearly the future. This is going to die. It's got like the industry I want to be a part of is dead. And I, and I kind of gave up and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> because now because now it's the, the barrier for entry into becoming a, a vfx artist is actually pretty low um you know anyone can learn at home um, but like, i mean that was can, that kind of ironically that film kind of dashed my dreams you can become a vfx artist uh if you know ai these days <laughs> the, well, entire, yeah. the entire vfx team for um everything everywhere all at once was i think uh depending on the reports you read either seven or nine people um yeah and they used just massive amounts of ai to uh achieve mm. that when most uh large movies are like thousands of people which is quite funny yeah and and a lot of just very clever in-camera work as yeah, well from what i yeah. yeah from behind the scenes what i understand actually to go back about what you said about behind the scenes for lord of the rings that's one thing i'm quite sad about with the decline of dvds and more streaming is that I used to love watching a movie and then either watching it again with like the commentary uh, from the yeah. directors and actors um, and then watching all the behind the scenes stuff. And you just don't really, you have to actively go out and find it on YouTube and stuff now. Like, yeah. I, I think it would be well, great actually, if on Netflix and stuff, you, you would have the option for that, you know? I mean, in some places you do, maybe not Netflix, but like um, when I buy movies on like digital, Mm. uh they sometimes come with behind the scenes and sometimes don't i don't know why um mm. there doesn't seem to be a difference in price um mm. so i don't know we'd have to i that would be a, a very a very nerdy and very fun thing that probably wouldn't be worth 
a, a separate business, but it would be fun to like tie into someone's business is like Netflix for behind the scenes stuff. So instead yeah, yeah. of you get the interface of Netflix, but it's none of the actual movies, it's all behind it's the just, scenes. You just behind the scenes, yeah. I think um I the do you know the subscription service shut uh the, the streaming service shudder for horror no. movies. So it's like a Netflix for horror movies. It's really good if you're into horror. Um, and they have a lot of behind the scenes stuff, actually. They do a lot of their own like documentaries and things like that. That's that's what it's needed. Just like, because like you can put on like uh, like a, a classic horror movie, I didn't know, like, uh, you know, Frankenstein or something. Um, and then the, the next thing that it will recommend when you finished is, do you want to watch the behind the scenes on, you know, or like a documentary about the making of the movie kind of thing. Like, do you that, want us to break all illusion right now and completely ruin the fact that you were scared by just a puppet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but i like that kind of stuff and do you know what it's funny because i've got yeah, an eight-year-old as you know and um you know they at this age they start to talk about things like that right like that they encounter things on youtube or you know in pop culture in general that it's like taken from horror so like scream uh Freddy, you know things like that start popping up and so occasionally what we'll do is we watch um uh, a thing on youtube called Corri corridor crew um yeah, which is like you know them, yeah um, and they break down the visual, you know, the visuals of movies and, and stunts and things like that. And what I like about that is for him, it makes him understand that A, there's, a, there's an incredible amount of work and artistry that goes behind these things. And B, there's not really anything to be scared of. Like these yeah. things aren't real. Like, in fact, it's just some guy, like, you know, usually doing some really janky, like, thing and like you know what i mean and it yeah. like and it kind of it, it makes him feel better about it and and can help him go to sleep <laughs> um you know which i think is yeah. important corridor crew is great if anyone listening to this has not checked them out on youtube they are brilliant and they're oh, really 100 pushing yeah. the boundaries of like what is possible with a small team building uh doing like vfx um, that, anim that anime thing, going back to what you said about AI, did you see that? Yeah. That was amazing. Like, really yeah, and they showed, showed some uh, old animators of it. And they, they yeah, from <laughs> Disney, said, yeah. You did this with four people, and they're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you are yeah. and they were like, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they had two, they were two, uh, yeah, they, I watched that episode with two, uh, two animators from Disney originally, there. I yeah. think they worked on like Lion King and stuff, and they were just yeah. like, oh, well, we're out of a job. Like, you yeah. just, <laughs> like, yeah. I love all that stuff. They, they did one episode recently. I was trying to remember as you were talking about it, um, when you were talking about um, Peter Jackson and how he was innovate, the innovative technology. There was yeah. an episode recently that talked about a move. That was it, the Mario Brothers movie, the the yeah. old Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, the old one. Um, yeah. yeah, did Which you see that episode? Breakthrough in technology, even, yeah. even though it was a movie. Exactly, <laughs> I was so surprised by that. Like. Yeah. Because they didn't have, they couldn't get ILM to work on the movie because it was out of their budget or whatever, right? So they had yeah. to come up with their own solutions, and it ended up. Um, I can't remember what it ended up being the 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 antithesis for, but a company that now still exists, or some some set yeah. of platforms that now still exist, but a lot of like particle simulations and things like that. And you just think you wouldn't think that looking at the movie. I used to love that movie when I was a kid, yeah. by the way, um, but uh, but I didn't realize it actually had any impact on the industry. Like you wouldn't assume that. Yeah, and. Um, just for people who don't know, ILM is Industrial Light and Magic, and it's probably the largest VFX house in the world, or mm. the most influential VFX house in the world. Yeah. But back in the day, they were probably one of the only VFX houses in the world, and all of the technology that they built to work on movies, they kept secret to themselves, so no one mm. else could use it. And then when Mario Brothers couldn't afford them, 
yeah. instead of like increasing their budget, they just went and built competitors for ILM. Yeah. And that's how competition in the world started in, in the VFX world started. I think it yeah. led to but it's crazy to think that I think, think it, it was, was like it started, it was the first version of something that maybe Adobe owns now, like uh, either Photoshop or After Effects or something like that. I think it's that. Something like that. I think there's something to do, I, I vaguely remember them saying something to do with particle simulation. Because if you know the, the effects when when they sort of get yeah. brought into to the, the Mushroom Kingdom, yes. I think something something important there. But I, And also yeah. I, I learned from Corridor, uh, from the same channel, that ILM's first, the, the, no, sorry, that the first animated character was in a Sherlock Holmes movie, one of the very first Sherlock yeah. Holmes movies, which I thought was really interesting. It was that it was that um, that uh, stained glass character that the the Scared. the, the, yeah, the knight. Yeah, yeah, stained glass knight that walked down like a, a church or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love that show. Um, it's so it's hugely entertaining, and and the stunt and the stunt stuff is just as fascinating as well. I find as the VFX stuff. And again, that that's really good for, for for my kid to watch too, because obviously, again, there's quite a lot of violence and action in, in even you know kids stuff these days. Like every you know action movie has a fight scene, people are kicking each other, shooting each other, whatever. So for him to see the behind the, the scenes stuff there, even like to understand what a squib is, right, in movies, like that's important for a kid to know that you know people aren't actually shooting each other for real, like in movies or or like you know they're not actually beating the shit out of each other that it's fake. I think that's so yeah. important, you know. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff. And then, um, since we're on the topic of YouTube, uh, there's mm. just some really, really cool different creators out there on YouTube that I watch mm. regularly. That are people should follow. There's um one of the former Corridor crew members, Clint. Uh, he yeah. has the um channel Pona Show, which is P W N I S H E R. Um, yeah, and creates um basically uh animation uh challenges for anyone mm. in the world to take part and he gives a very very strict what we were saying earlier very very strict guidelines of uh you need to create if you want to get involved create a sequence of effects that start at this time end at this time i think it's normally like five seconds and uh an object moves in this way across the screen and mm. And that's it. It's like yeah. it is really simple and it's really constrained. But then the creations that people make out of that are incredible. And he yeah. strings them together. He strings the top hundred together in a ten minute. Oh, sorry, I guess it might be a ten second thing. A ten minute video, um, and shares that. And then mm. he puts all of the ones that he receives into a however long. The last yeah. one I saw was like five hours. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it is just stunning to see the amount yeah. of creativity that there is out in the world that people are submitting to him for these these reels. Um, and they're so cool. Um, and one of, I think one of my favorite ones was the one that he did vertically on, on phones, which was um, have a, a silver ball drop. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's good. Right. Do something in the area for five seconds and, and then drop, drop front on front left or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, can't have been top right. Must have been top left. So top left drops bottom left. 
um and yeah. he, he strung them all together and it was the same metal ball going through all of them and then it had all these different things and it was stunning um yeah so yeah i think i think the first one i saw of it, yeah great great channel yeah he, that that that's really cool and i think the first one i saw of his was um of, of that compilation was the one where they um it's someone sat by a window and that, that was it. It was just like it has to be someone sat by a window and there's there has to be movement, I think it was like or something like that in the background. And just that simple, simple premise, like you said, the level of creativity around that was just insane. It, yeah, yeah, really, really good recommendation. That yeah. Are there any others that you're a fan of? I mean, uh I've been watching MKBHD for I think eight of his years that he's been active for like 16 years on YouTube. Um, okay. He is the leading tech reviewer on YouTube. Well, leading. He He's one of the longest running tech reviewers on YouTube. And everything that he makes is just stunning uh, because he's obsessed with everything uh, in his frames being pretty. And he did it for by himself for a while. And now he has a team of like 15 people around him. Um, right. And he has because he was the first and because he made such high quality content he has gained access to some incredible people so he's had sit down mm -hmm. interviews with mark zuckerberg elon musk tim cook um who else just he had elon musk took him through a walkthrough tour of uh, tesla's factories um at, at one point um wow. and he's just this youtuber who has makes amazing videos um, Neil deGrasse Tyson had a sit down with him. Um, so many people, and mm. yeah, very, very good uh, tech channel. Um, and then my favorite channel, which is the least watched of all of these, is uh, Wild, Wild Wonderful Off Grid, which is a family who live in West Virginia, and they mm. have built their own home, pretty much just the two of them. Uh, over the last oh, wow. four years and they do everything they do uh all of the foundation pouring they do all of the like beams they do uh like the the ceiling lifting everything that you would not think that a couple literally a man and a woman with three kids who have been growing up through mm -hmm. that time uh could do just on their own very very occasionally other people come in and help um but they've built mm -hmm. a beautiful 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 home at the top of a hill of uh, a land that they they bought four years ago um from scratch and they have just started working on an extension which uh they were planning on building like three years ago but uh, everything takes mm. longer um and they're just pouring the foundations for that extension right now uh, and that's going to be probably another two years of build time and two years mm. of content and they started making videos on YouTube so that they could show their family what they were doing. And people started discovering mm -hmm. them. Like us, we discovered them, I think, before they even had all of the roof up. So, like, really early on. Mm -hmm. um, and people started discovering them and they started making money from people watching them on YouTube. And they were like, wait, can we actually make enough money to survive on this? And so they doubled down on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And now, what they had when they hit, I think, two hundred thousand subscribers, they had enough money coming in that the they could both quit their jobs at the time because they couldn't work that much because they had to do their jobs. Yeah. Um, and now they have over a million subscribers, um, wow. and they are just yeah, it's a lovely, 
like heartwarming family and mm. they put out a 20 to 25 minute video every single Sunday for the most part. Mm. And every Sunday or every Monday morning, my partner and I, we uh, our breakfast is watching this family continuing building their home. And it is, I think, one of my favorite channels on all of YouTube. Mm. That's really cool. I have to check that out. It's do you know what I love about YouTube? Because we we basically that's pretty much all we consume these days. Yeah. Right. We we don't have terrestrial TV. On the TV, the main app that we use is YouTube. We'll occasionally watch something on Netflix, but it's pretty much that. And what I love about the new age of content consumption is that you are quite often following journeys. It's not just like, yes, okay, with Corridor Crew and things like that, yeah, there's like an episode and it's covering these topics. But even then, there's like, you get to know these people, you know, throughout yeah. the time, you know, like knowing that Clint used to be in that crew and remembering when he left and, and to do his thing and how like everyone supported him. Like even that like thread, yeah. you know, there's there's like this, you feel a connection with these individuals. And, and, and so, yeah, family vlogs are very popular for that reason. But then a family vlog with like uh, an ambitious project, like that's, that sounds really interesting, especially something as kind of like aspirational as like building your own home. That's yeah. like, that's super, like that's even like doubly cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I love that about modern day content. Like that, that yeah. it's, it's it, there's this connection with, with people, you know? Yeah. As long as it doesn't become unhealthy, unfortunately there's another side to that, um, which is good. Yeah, it can be quite unhealthy too. There's, so. there's... Yes. Can you hear me? Ah, yep. good, yeah, you're back. Sorry, you break up a bit there. But yeah, I think it, that's super cool. Like, and, and how, and, and it just goes to show as well, I think actually, you know, sort of how it's, um, as long as you're consistent and you, you have a compelling kind of story, I guess, that, that you know, or, 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 or something that some sort of narrative thread that like anyone can really do that, you know? They just go online and share your story. There's going to be someone out there it connects with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. Like, when I started, when I started Tutti, I had the hilarious idea that I was going to uh, blog my way the entire way. Uh, right. I uh, I did try for a bit, but uh, in order to build a company, you need to focus on your company. So yeah, um, yeah. that stopped very quickly. But if we do raise this next round of funding that we are uh, working on right now, um, well, we haven't opened it yet. We will be working on fairly soon. Then um, one of the things that we're considering hiring is a content creator who can just basically uh whenever i have a, a whim of a bit of content that we need to make um we can sit down and shoot it if i um and i would love to start just kind of sharing content of what we achieved this week what we didn't achieve like showing insights into the highs and lows of starting a company because that would be really yeah. fun but i do not yeah. have the time or the energy or anything to even set up a camera in front of myself and do that like i need someone who literally all i have to do is talk and someone else going to go and do the editing and everything yeah 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 i mean you could do the gary v right and basically hire a documentary crew to follow you around 24 7. but the thing is i don't i also don't think it has to be that complicated like i think there are hacks to it too like yeah. you know i i'm i'm surprised actually that we haven't seen more um more people in business um especially in the startup ecosystem embrace twitch um, or you know streaming as much like you know I think that there's there's something to be said for like there's there's definitely hours in the day for most founders where you could probably turn on a stream and work and while talking to the camera like that there's going to be work where 
you know, certain segments of work throughout the day where you can kind of narrate what you're doing and it isn't necessarily confidential. Um, do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's got to be sort of maybe little areas I mean, like that. When you're, if you do that, then you are splitting your focus from what you're working and you're thinking about what mm, you're saying. That's true. And uh, you, you will not get nearly as good work done and you're just yeah. going to lose focus. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate that it, it's in uh technically easy but in reality difficult um yeah. and then also right. you uh, when, when you are just talking off the cuff you might say things that you're like oh shit that was confidential oh shit i'm live streaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the investors aren't gonna like that yeah yeah i guess you want, well, i you guess you know maybe, a... maybe middle ground is like you know when you're on your lunch break and you know because of a lot of founders sit down and eat their lunch at the table right at their desk right i'm guilty of that too is you know flip the web camera on record half an hour and then send it to a, someone on fiverr to edit down into clips or something like you know what i mean like there, there's got to be some some way of doing it but but you're right it's always going to detract to some extent from what you're doing there are founders out there that manage it though and it's kind of mind-boggling how they have the time like there's a lot of founders now that sort of do the whole um uh, what's the hashtag the uh, uh build in public i think it is yeah. um sort of a hashtag on twitter for example like that's hugely popular in reddit and things but just the time that they must take to document that to, to post I mean, like that's nuts I, you know? I ever so slightly build in public um mm. i i simply don't have the time to do it um effectively because one i'm a first-time founder so i still i'm trying to figure out which things i need to do and which things i can hand off to someone else um mm. and uh, all sorts of any any founders who build in public completely unless they've built like something AI and just wizardry and like, <laughs> like something incredible that doesn't need their everyday, like looking into, I would mm. be so highly surprised if they do really well, because it mm. takes so much effort to get something off the ground. You can't spend half your time thinking about how you're going to uh, like share that on socials. Mm. Um, unless the people that are reading it on socials are your customers, then yeah, sure. It's a, it's a yeah. way of, uh reach but mm. i yeah um i use it's so very very hard to uh to balance those and honestly at the end of the day what matters is that your company succeeds you can always do other things you can you can always become a career if you want um so yeah you can always become a what you broke up after that bit you can always become uh, a gary gary v right yeah 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 well yeah maybe <laughs> i mean that's that's the extreme isn't it i'm not sure if that's something to aspire to because of uh yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah it's and, and also that what's amazing about the founders that are doing somehow managing that is quite often like they, they have a full-time job and they're kind of building the startup on the side and like and they, and they have the time for that it's just insane i don't know how they do it to be honest i mean i i can't imagine that there's any solo founders doing that there must be must be co-founders because solo maybe, founders maybe. yeah maybe yeah the yeah. solo founder it's all consuming all consuming isn't it yeah. yeah and and um what you what were you doing before you went into tt remind me i graduated university <laughs> oh right yeah that was it you went straight from graduation yeah i mean when i i graduated in 2016 and then mm. i tried to figure out how to start a startup for a year and a half and i mm. failed with a lot of attempts um, and then I went through an incubator called Founder Institute in 2018, which uh, mm. 
basically set me on the right path, but I still failed to get an MVP out there in six months. And then on October 30th, 2018, someone from America texted me and said, uh, Robert texted me and said, hey, have you heard of this company called ShareTribe? I was like, no, what's that? And ShareTribe is a like no-code marketplace out of the box. I was like, oh, mm. I've been trying to figure out how to build a marketplace for literally a year and a half. And if I just Googled better, then I could have <laughs> created it a year and a half ago. Great. Yeah. Um, so then I paid for a ShareTribe membership and mm. set it up in four hours, including payment processing, branding, everything. And the customers I'd been talking to before the website, uh, I asked them all if they were ready to go live. And they said yes. Mm. And then I pushed them live. And I, uh, um, and we were live, and we got our first booking in two weeks, um, wow. which was a Google, from a Google ad spend. Um, yeah. And hilariously, it was a friend of mine, but she found us on Google ads and had no idea it was my company. <laughs> Small um, world. <laughs> yeah. um, but clearly, I was building a problem that my friend, a uh, building for a problem that my friends had, which yeah, yeah. I told everyone. Um, and yeah, so that was a booking of a piano rehearsal room for two hours. Um, and yeah, and then grew and grew and slowed and slowed and have had some really low months. Um, I think the lowest month we ever had, June 2019, where we were still using ShareTribe. Um, so the tech was working fine. And uh, someone convinced us that it was a great idea to spend a lot of money on an ad and then to spend a lot of money on marketing that ad. And we spent hilariously large amounts of money, which I would never, ever, ever recommend to anyone, ever, mm. uh, on both um, uh, a production company that was way too expensive um, mm. for a video that was way too good for our stage, and then a uh, marketing company agency, an ad agency, um, for pushing that video on Google and Facebook ads. Mm. And I, I'm not going to say how much I spent on the video, but the, the ad agency, we spent two grand on the ad agency. Mm. And they drove us, I think it was like, not even 6,000 clicks to the site Oof. and zero bookings that month. Oh, God. Wow. Um, and so you're so still using the, the agency today, though, yeah? <laughs> we fired them before the contract was over because they had said it's a minimum three-month co term contract and then yeah. my advisor was like that's bullshit if they're not driving you anything you can get rid of them and i was like oh i didn't know that's how business work okay yeah how are you? Um, yeah. yeah well a naive first-time founder you don't know these things no, of um, course. Yeah. and yeah and i think we had one booking in two months uh with four grand of ad spend and um yeah that was painful and then we stopped that and then our bookings went back up um and i got told by a bunch of people that they'd seen ads that were irrelevant to them that was mm. that were picking them off because they were like why are you sending me all this ad stuff um mm. so that wasn't great um and then in comparison so back in june 2019 from two grand of ad spend uh in march of this year we had eleven thousand uh people in traffic mm. from 250 pounds of ad spend 
<laughs> slightly, slightly different things. Now it's uh, all yeah. SEO driving our traffic. So yeah, but but I mean, I guess you had to have gone through that to some degree to learn some lessons there. I mean, or is that just a very nice way of looking at it? Would, would do you think you realistically probably would have managed to get to the same place without having to make those expensive mistakes, or or, or um, were, there some, were there some valuable lessons in, that you're now implementing into the strategy for 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 user acquisition? I'm very much of the believer that founders need to make their own mistakes. Sometimes not everything can be advised. Yeah, because yeah. I've had plenty of advisors give me great advice, and I've been like, oh, I think you're wrong, and then I'll go off. <laughs> Do my own thing and then a month later i'll come back with my tail between my legs and be like yeah i've made the same decision that you told me a month ago um that is lit that is the story of my my life uh yeah. <laughs> like yeah when people ask me what i do for a living i'm like oh i get ignored for a living <laughs> pretty much but then but then people come back usually later and i'm like oh, okay yeah you, you were right you know <laughs> so, like one that having that uh, experience a few times over has taught me to uh, when I ask people for advice, actually to listen to that advice, uh, yeah. which I still sometimes I I don't listen without questioning. I'm very uh, I'm I'm a big fan of a few key phrases from a few famous people that you uh, people have mixed feelings on. Elon mm. Musk, is, his one of his famous quotes is question, "Always question your constraints," which I mm. always do. It's like, why is something done that way? Oh, because of this, this, and this. Yeah, fine. Okay, cool. Um, and then, uh, since we were talking about film, it seems um, appropriate. Jeff Bezos has uh, a great quote, which is create more than you consume. So mm. uh, if you create more than you consume, you will be, uh, yeah, you'll do well in life. If you just sit in front of a TV and consume everything all the time, then, yeah. That's um, quite ironic coming from Jeff Bezos, though, really, when you think about it, <laughs> considering yeah. how much he creates. But, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so there's, uh, so where was I going with that? The, there's just kind of the, the listening to advice. I, I do listen to advice now a lot better than I used to, but I still don't listen blindly. Um, I do yeah. need to come to my own conclusions. Yeah. But then yeah. there's, yeah, there's, um, there have been so many instances where people have given me great advice and I've been like, Nah, a month later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it has to happen. And like, look, I've I've worked with with people from all different spectrums on that in terms of the varying degrees of of how much they might sort of adopt something or not. Um, in the advice scale, I guess you could say. And like, it's ranged from. And by the way, these people don't last very long as clients usually. But it's ranged from sort of the the level of like just ignoring everything. Um, you know, which just just doesn't work. Obviously, there's always a sense of like, oh, you know, I know better, right up to, you know, listening to everything. And I think the best way is somewhere in the middle, where there's a certain amount of certain amount of uh, pushback on things. Like, I think it's important as an advisor to be questioned on the logic of something. Like, you know, I'm not just going to say, right, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. And for someone to just, if someone were just like, okay, cool, when should we start? I'd be a bit concerned. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there should be like, okay, but why? You know, to some degree. But then, of course, like in a similar way that you said with like your developers, there becomes a, a relationship that's built over time. You learn to trust certain things after a while and, and you can sort of infer rationale behind something too. So that it eventually becomes this thing in a relation, in a working relationship where you're like, hmm, okay, well, this is the issue, right? Okay, I reckon we should do X, Y, and Z. And the, the, the person I'm giving that advice to can kind of go, okay, well, he's been right on this similar sort of topics before. He's explained his rationale around these topics before. 
I don't need to question this. He's probably right. Let's go for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, so there's elements of trust that build up over time, but there, there should definitely be some questioning. Um, yeah, just not to not to the point of um, yeah. maybe making the advisor cry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Getting, well, getting back to your, I was just going to say, getting back to your previous yeah, yeah. question, like, did I have to go through those? Um, oh yeah. yeah, not necessarily. Um, mm. But I, the lessons stuck and stung and hurt and really stuck with me when mm. I made a monetary mistake. Um, yeah. I don't know if they would as much or even more if I was spending someone else's money, but at the time I was spending my own money. So that really yeah. hurt. Uh, yeah. And it depends on what, what, what level of founder psychopath you are, uh, depending on uh, so how much it would uh, hurt if you spend someone else's money. If you're yeah. like me and feel more pressure when you're taking money from other people, then uh, you will probably regret poorly spending other people's money. If yeah. you are like know, any of the famous scam artists out there, um, mm. then you won't learn and you won't yeah, care. So, yeah, won't care. But I mean, but 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 the, but the damage is with that is obviously that you're less likely to get more money from those people. So that's something to bear in mind as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know? yeah. Mm. But yeah, so there's. Yeah, there's, I don't know, it's just, it's really, every founder is going to make mistakes, no matter how many advisors they surround themselves and with mm -hmm. no matter how, like, carefully they try to tread. In fact, if they yeah. try and tread too carefully, they're not going to get anywhere because you have to break things. Exactly. To, you have to... Yeah. Uh, what was it? Breaks and makes to make some omelets or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess I guess the the goal is to try and ensure that the mistakes aren't so costly that it destroys something before it starts. Like that's yeah. the key. If you if you you know you need to be in a position where you can afford to make mistakes, right? It's like what my friends used to always say about when you're going to a casino. You go into a casino with money that you're prepared to lose. If you go in there with money that you can't afford to lose, you shouldn't be going to a casino, right? Like it's that kind of thing. Like it's good, to, like you said, it's good to take risks. It's good to try things. It's good to diversify. You've got to learn, but you've got to be going into that sort of eyes wide open and prepared to lose that. Um, if everything is riding on it, then you should probably rethink that strategy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like that's and 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 that's where that's where I think advisors come in well is when they're able to sort of prevent you from maybe making a mistake that is going to be the one that cripples everything and, and destroys everything um and puts you at, at the whim of like uh, of the problem of the actual thing failing that isn't a good solution to uh, a situation to be in but um i was just going to say like um as we're sort of getting towards the end of it i you know i said at the beginning about i, I am trying to find some some form of structure in, in these conversations and the one thing i came up with the idea of uh, only for the, since today so this will be the first one is to end with like which we've kind of done anyway to a degree is like uh sort so of end on some some um some advice that you, you'd be able to impart to founders and i didn't want to structure this in a way of like what advice would you give to up and coming founders? because i found that really cliche so i was thinking more specifically for if you th there are going to be hopefully people watching this who are wanting to start the journey right and yeah the most difficult thing is what are the first steps to take so in your mind if someone sat there right now listening to this watching this and they're like i've got an idea for something what would you say are like the first practical next steps to actually just getting started because you know like it's going to the gym getting in the gym is the hardest part right so what is what is the what would you say like the, the, the yeah i've already asked the, asked the question so what would you say it is 
Uh, give me one second. I am just moving my laptop around because my face is going away. <laughs> um, uh, so the the first thing, which is, sounds very obvious, but is really what you have to do is make sure that there are customers. So find, mm. find your customers. If this is a problem that you have experienced yourself, then you might be the first customer. That's okay. I'm, I was my first customer. And then I, before I built anything, not by kind of choice, but more because of uh, not being <laughs> so organized when I was starting, I, uh, and not being able to build technology uh, quick enough, I went and I found people who, um, I, I talked to a lot of people in the industry who I mm. thought might have experienced the same problem. And turns out they had. Um, but yeah, the, the very, very first thing that you need to do is make sure that there is actually a problem here and uh, that it is a problem worth solving. So if it's a problem uh, worth paying for is normally the, the best way of starting a company. Um, are people willing to pay for this solution to be solved? If they're happy with their solutions today, then great. Then uh, you're not going to be able to sell something that improves their lives. That's mm. what a vitamin startup if you are um building something that really removes relieves a lot of pain aka a painkiller startup uh then you yeah you you have a you have some legs so go and find those first customers you can be the first one if you're not the first one then absolutely find others there's a bunch of places that i would suggest you go and look there are different types of problems. Some are entirely online. Some are in-person. Mine is an in-person problem mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, even though it's like, um, even though the solution is entirely software, uh, when people are actually doing the thing that they need space for, it's in-person. So mine is locality-based um, in the end with the solution. Uh, what I could have done to research this, which I kind of did a bit, was go on to online portals and just find people who are kind of like kind of like me in my case but mm -hmm. kind of like the profile of the people who i imagine have this problem and go and find people like that and ask them um people love to talk people clearly we've just talked for two hours um <laughs> people <laughs> love uh when you listen to them and you are interested in their lives so yeah. go and find people ask them about their lives and um figure out what problems they're having and then if they're willing to pay for those problems. Uh, the resources that I would just suggest using are Reddit is a great one if you want to mm. find these people. Like if I was starting now, I'd probably go and look up filmmakers on Reddit, musicians mm. on Reddit, and ask them, hey, do you have a struggle finding space? Mm. Yep, cool, okay, great. Um, but then the reason I mentioned the locale versus the software is that because we're in like physical geographically based business, right now um we want to find people who have this problem in a specific area if we're starting mm -hmm. there so facebook groups is a really really good place to go and find um those those people and you'll notice that i mentioned reddit and facebook groups neither of them are paid for they're completely free you do not need to spend money to go and find these people um you can probably do it on tiktok i just i'm not familiar uh so familiar mm -hmm. with tiktok um, there's a lot of places you can find communities to go and ask them what problem it like first it would ask not 
does this solution solve a problem for you? You ask them, mm. uh, you don't even say, what is your problem? You ask them about their lives. You try and push towards what you think the problem is. And mm. you start asking all the questions that you can come up around that thing. And then uh, at the end of a conversation, you can say, I've got this idea of doing this. Mm. What do you think? And some of them, some people out there will be scared of hurting your feelings. Um, so actually, sometimes I don't say I have the idea. I say, oh, I'm working with a friend who has this idea because then right. they're not hurting my feelings. They're, mm. they're hurting this unknown person. Um, and people will be more honest. Uh, and then you, yeah, you'll really get, do that with like uh, probably 100 people, maybe more. Um, mm. And you'll get some really, really good insights. Mark down the insights if you can. Record the conversations. Transcribe the conversations. Uh, make sure you ask them if they're okay with that. Note them down, um, and you will see passions emerging, um, mm -hmm. and you will, you will get places. And if you're scared of talking to a hundred people, then starting a business is not for you because, in order to talk to get investment, you have to talk to probably thousands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's a really good point. There's a lot of. Um, Hold on, I just realized my seat is slowly sinking throughout our conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, one, 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 that's a really, really important skill. Almost to go back to what you said about communication with developers, like you need to have the, the not be afraid of talking to strangers. And unfortunately, there are a lot of budding or, or aspiring founders out there that are quite, um, they're not a huge fan of that sort of level of social interaction. And I think that's a huge detriment, unless they can find a co-founder that can maybe I mean, pick that thread up for them. Um, you, because I think you can you can make such bigger strides. You can still do it, but you can make such bigger strides, I think, when you have the, 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 the balls to go out there, like you said, and just speak to people. You can do it yourself. You can teach yourself to do this. I have taught mm, myself. Yeah. I, I was not, well, I, I, I've always been a social butterfly. So I've always liked kind of meeting new people and stuff like that. but. Um, one thing that I'm always really, really bad at to this day is interjecting into conversations when at networking events, when two people are talking, right. I'm like, I want to come and meet you guys, but I don't want to interrupt you guys. And I, I think, I think that's quite common. I think that's quite yeah. a common thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I, I've, I mentored at Techstars recently and mm. at the Techstars like drinks after mentoring, I was still really to go talk to these founders who I'd mentored, not even like, yeah, it right. wasn't the opposite way around. It wasn't uh, like I was being mentored and I was scared of talking to mentors. It was me being scared of talking to founders. Um, but yeah, so there's some anxiety that everyone has. Um, yeah. And you can train yourself out of it. It just takes practice. Like everything, it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. For more, some people more than others, but yeah. Of course, I think the key to that is just put yourself in a situation where you have to, you have to do it bit by bit, right? Yeah. To put yourselves in more of those those social interactions, like you said, if you're if you're meeting people online who are maybe your potential future customers, book meetings with them online. You know, put yourself in a position where you have to speak to them, and over time you will just get better at it. You know, and I think people are maybe a lot better at these sort of things than they give themselves credit for as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And for booking time online. Um absolutely use calendly or hubspot meetings or whatever meeting system you want for a, a single meeting time it is free and it has i started using it properly this year and it has saved me countless 
countless hours of trying to find a time to meet with someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can yeah, I can 100% vouch for that because of yeah the amount of booking uh, meetings that I have in a week and stuff it's just you know it's a nightmare otherwise yeah yeah no there's some good advice there I think some very good advice because like I said those first steps are the most difficult ones and um and and we do see a lot of uh, first time SaaS founders especially uh, go straight into wanting to build the solution instead of really verifying if there's a if there's a fit for it if the if the marketplace wants it and that can be an incredible waste uh, of time. <laughs> um, so. the, the thing following that that I would say is also you don't. Uh, today, you do not need your first solution does not need to be custom made. Like mm. I know a friend who has no technical background who is building an AI startup, um, yeah. like no code entirely. Mm. So mm. You, you don't need code to start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's becoming more of the norm, isn't it? We're seeing the rise of the the no code agencies, and uh, they're doing very well for a reason. And it's because of more often than not, the MVP can be no code, and maybe later on you can you can uh, you can make it a bit more of a, a complex offering. But in the early stages, you're right. There there are startups out there that I've seen that have just uh, just a landing page, you know, yeah. it, to, to that effect of like just gathering interest of getting people yeah. to register to show that there is a a need for it like that's another way of like what you were saying tapping into those communities and just saying look if you think this is something that you might be interested in check this out uh, go to this website and if it's interesting to you then you can you can register and then when we start releasing more information you know part of it and that's a yeah. really nice way of building community too yeah that's actually that's uh, kind of what uh the founder of moz who i was on a um zoom call group zoom call today with uh he's a lovely guy and he, he basically said yeah um anyone who build software first and then go goes to find like the customers is crazy mm -hmm. just uh like find the customers first and you'll do so much better like his his first version of his software was not he said it was terrible but uh mm -hmm. they did really well because they had so many customers um yeah. and they they had so many customers because they put started they decided on roughly their what they specialized on and then they started writing content and writing content mm -hmm. and uh sharing that content uh like consistently they would share it uh well as i said earlier like reddit and facebook groups are places to go you can go and share mm. content on those groups and ask them for feedback and hear what they think and strike up discussions you can uh you like squarespace is set up for seo so that uh you don't have to do any technical work go and write content on squarespace if you want mm. um and people will find you on google uh, mm -hmm. If they're interested in the subject that you're uh, that you're writing about, and just write content, I cannot emphasize enough how much I regret not starting a content system earlier, and right. how much, how important content is. Because if you have distribution, if you have people who like what you're talking about and uh, like want what you're uh, going to try and sell them, and you can talk to them, and then you can uh like learn about them and then once you build the thing that you're saying you're going to build you can be like hey we talked about this thing yeah. here's the thing uh let me know if you like it and you'll be far better off than any software founder who starts with the software first yeah it almost goes back to what we were saying about content creators like on youtube and stuff where in fact that people can get invested in the story in what you're trying to achieve it doesn't mean that you have to share every aspect of your life like it's not like a personal vlog or blog or anything but if if it's the journey of the the, the idea 
and that you're and showing that you're really passionate about solving these problems people can get really invested in that can't they and 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 want to follow along that journey and also be the first and that's where you find the early adopters right that's where you find those 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 early supporters and then you know i think that i i really love and i've talked about this i think in every single one of these podcasts so far i really love the idea of building um, based on on a community sort of basis, because if you like you said, there's so many benefits to it. But but more than anything, as, aside from the obvious of like having a baked in sort of ready to to go user base and this that and the other, the uh, this idea of being sort of uh, led as a product and the roadmap being built in some ways by the community and their feedback in the early stages, like you've got so much and and you know being able to go to investors and say you know I've got a group you know I met someone at a networking event recently for example who's got a uh, Slack group um, with two hundred thousand of his uh, customers in it he just needs the money to build the product and they're ready to go right so they're using the Slack community as kind of like a de facto sort of MVP almost to serve you know what he's trying to do and then and I was like you're going to get your investment like if you yeah. pitch this right because look they're there like they're waiting you're showing the appetite like there's so many benefits to it um and I think you know expect and the other thing as well is the transparency and expectation that you can set up because you can set up that expectation of look yes we're really going to be heavily involved with you now but just so you know when we when we drop that MVP we might go a bit quiet in this community because we're going to yeah. be focused on that like you guys carry on um, and then also the, just the absolute transparency of like, it's not going to be perfect straight off the rip versus like, you know, building it and then asking people to come. Expectations are sky high, like you said, over you know, uh, under promise, over deliver. It, it kind of yeah. starts from the very beginning. So that's really good advice. I, yeah, I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Well, look, I, I should probably let you go because um, I know how busy you are. But um, thank you for jumping on. I really, really, really appreciate it um I'll, I'll put your links and stuff to tutti to your to your linkedin and everything in the description of the video on youtube when it goes up um yeah that's um is there anything anything else you wanted to to add to that no i think uh all good um i i think i hope there's enough lessons in here for a few people to, uh, to... i think so i think so definitely definitely yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and you know we'll we'll have to do this again because uh, my 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 plan isn't to just sort of be one and done with people like in the in the not too distant future I want to get people because there's so many other things to talk about right um, that we haven't even touched on and and um, you know, I'm sure we will privately as well when we speak but 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 more often than not we're very hyper focused on work so this is also a good opportunity for us to just socialize too so kind of kills yeah. a few birds with one stone so I like it it's like this is our version of going to the pub and catching up right so yeah, <laughs> yeah so I like it um but cool but i know i'll see you next week um but uh have a lovely weekend uh, Thank you. Uh, have you got any got any plans for this evening for the weekend uh i am going bowling for the first time in like four years tonight oh. um, as a birthday present from my fiance's mum. um i am in holland right now i'm wearing the right color for it um oh. and uh yeah that's um oh yeah your birth when is your birthday again it was wednesday it was wednesday and mine's today so yeah Oh, it was last Wednesday. Sorry, um, last Wednesday. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, enjoy your bowling and enjoy Holland. And um, yeah, I'll catch up with you. I'll catch up with you next week. And happy birthday! And enjoy your weekend celebrations of your birthday. Thank you. I shall try. I shall try. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. Uh, yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Bye. Cheers. See ya. Bye bye. Thank you for watching and/or listening. Please like. Subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below.